and welcome to the Midweeks with Pastor Rob. That's me. I'm really grateful for you to be joining me here. It's been a while. I've been traveling Canada, heading to the other side of the country, which is fairly easy to say when you live so close to the um, geographical center of Canada. Pretty much anywhere you go could technically be understood as the other side of the country. So, uh, but we were out in BC where everything was extremely smoky, even had our flight home canceled on us because uh, it was just so smoky. And when you're out in the Okanagan, which is full of large hills and small mountains, and you can't see any of them no matter where you go, that's a bad sign. But we're back, and I'm really glad to be back with you. Um, What I would like to do today is um, jump into 2 Corinthians again, try to go through this book section by section. I really enjoy doing a section by section analysis of scripture, just reading through it, hearing through it. And then I want to make some comments about um, sex scandals in the church. So if my memory serves me right, uh, we're in 1 Corinthians, we're still in chapter 1, and we're about at verse 10. So why don't we just read through this section, 10 through 17, and then we'll make some comments on it. So this is the word of God. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or are you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name, I did, not also, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, and beyond that I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So the book of Corinthians um, is such, the first Corinthians is such a great book for our time because it picks up on a lot of the kind of issues that first century people deal with. This book was written to Corinth, which was a booming, economic, uh, prosperous, new money center. If my first century history is, is correct, uh, I believe Corinth was actually <clears throat> destroyed um, sometime before Paul came there as an apostle. I think Corinth had like rebelled against Rome. And what Rome would do if there was really bad rioting and rebellion is they'd sometimes just come and they'd just destroy a city. And they did that to Jerusalem. AD 70, after a rebellion, they came and they just destroyed the city because uh, they were really ruthless. The Romans kind of prided themselves on order and uh, political astuteness. And they knew that if you kind of were kid-glovish with one rebellion, then other people would be encouraged in rebellion. And so they were very ruthless in it. I'm not saying that's a good thing. That's just shrewd. And they, I think, had destroyed Corinth. But Corinth had been rebuilt. And as it was being rebuilt, uh, lots of people were making their fortunes in it. It was in a, uh, a key place for trade and transfer. And so um, you've got a lot of... Uh, wealth there, and where there's a lot of wealth, there's uh, things come along with that, like um, social classes, uh, pride, and 
often interest in like uh, philosophical and uh, religious um, conversation, diversity, not and like uh, as a as a, a kind of becoming connoisseurs of of ideas and stuff like this. And so Paul is writing this letter, and what's happened is the Corinthians have sent a letter to Paul with a bunch of questions, um, and he is writing this letter to respond to those questions, but he also has heard from um, the messengers, I understand, from Chloe's people, that there's a lot of stuff going on that the Corinthian church isn't talking to Paul about. So he wants to talk about the stuff they're not talking about first, and then he gets on to the questions. And so this is one of the things that he wants to deal with first, is that there's this quarreling happening in the church that's leading to division. This is the first thing he wants to address in the church. He's um, striving for unity, and he's uh, appealing to them to drop their divisive behavior. And what's the divisive behavior? Well, it looks like, I think on good evidence, that people are um, suffering from what you could call party spirit, where in order to like jostle for social status, um, they're saying they're breaking into factions behind certain leaders. And these leaders would be Paul, Apollos, Cephas. And then there's the group of right people. You know, they're probably the people with the teaching gifts. And they look at these people saying, um, I follow Paul and I follow Cephas, um, probably pronounced Kephas. And that's the, the other name for the apostle Peter. And they say, well, I follow Christ. And so they're kind of right. But at the same time, they're being divisive about it. And so Paul wants to right away start here at the divisiveness of it. And I think there's some wisdom in it because I think all the issues he talks about are potentially divisive. And he wants them to start thinking about the unity of the church in Christ and how because we are one in Christ, we are meant to protect our oneness and seek our oneness and uh, treasure our oneness in Christ by not doing uh, things that are divisive, not embracing worldviews and ideas that are divisive. And so this is where he starts. And he he appeals to them in it by... Um, and so he's going to do a few different things, okay? And so what I want to say is that this response to this issue of divisiveness actually goes on for a few chapters. So it's not just a quick, like, here's the truth. He's going to talk about... Um, a, a few different things in order to attack this kind of pride leading to divisions uh, based on people and their heart issue there of just like pride. And the, the, the problem is that if you're going to live like that, it's a sign you don't really know Christ and his cross and his um, embrace of foolishness and weakness. Um, how can you be proud and boasting over other people when you're doing it in the name of um, Jesus, who is the most humble and the most defeated person ever. <laughs> He's crucified. He failed, you know, except for the resurrection. Jesus was a total failure. And so how can you um, say, I follow the total failure. Look at how awesome I am. He's going to go there in a few different ways, but he's just going to start by talking about baptisms. Um, because it's, I guess it's possible that um, people, some of these people who are lining up behind different people would, would be saying that some baptisms are better than others. Maybe people who are baptized by Peter would say, you know what, 
you guys are great. And it's great that, you know, Joe, local pastor, Joe, local elder baptized you. But I was baptized by the apostle Peter. Like he got in the water with me and the water, the water began to glow and shine. And, you know, there was glory dust all over the place. And he laid hands on me. And those same hands were the hands that received the bread from Jesus when he broke the bread to feed the 5,000. And those hands that were on the bread, they touched me and I should be the leader, whatever. I don't know. But, uh, Paul is just, uh, he hates this kind of stuff uh, because he loves them. And so he goes after them by just saying, like, look, um, how exactly, if you're all in Christ, can the, your, who you're baptized by or who you follow um, change the fact that you're in Christ? Like, that's the most important thing about you. You are in Jesus. So how can you say, I follow Paul, when you're actually following Jesus? How can you say you're following Peter when you're actually following Jesus? How can you say you follow Apollos when you are actually following Jesus? And the, idea, the response is, we can't. And because we're all following Jesus, um, we should be caring about our unity in Christ instead of dividing ourselves among people. Now, as Paul argues this, there's this really interesting moment in the letter. It's a very human moment um, that should help inform our doctrine of inspiration. So, Paul says in verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say they're baptized in my name. But then in 16, he says, I did also baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. So he says, um, I baptized Crispus and Gaius, who were probably leaders, so prominent people, so that they could say, follow me because I was baptized by Paul. And then he either remembers or adds in, he also baptized the household of Stephanus, so all these people in this house. And then he says, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else, so he says, I can't remember. Um, and so it's there's this interesting moment where Paul, writing by the Holy Spirit, um, can't remember everybody in that town he baptized. And he was there for a while and did a little bit of baptizing, but not a lot, which is an interesting principle that, you know, it baptisms don't have to be done by the most prominent person in any local church. Um, Paul was actually trying not to do that a lot. Um, he, he obviously, all there were like hundreds of people getting baptized, and he can say, um, I only remember doing two people, well, that household too, so maybe a dozen, and well, I don't remember. So he's not keeping track. It's not a scoreboard for him. But it's just this interesting moment where the apostle um, reveals that he can't remember everyone he's baptized. And that is part of scripture. And so what that should do is it should inform um, how the Holy Spirit was uh, speaking through people. He really did speak through human beings. And he empowered them to write what he wanted them to write, but he didn't so nullify their humanness that they had like perfect recollection of everything they'd ever done, if that makes sense. And so um, there's this great little moment here. And I'm, so I'm not saying this to say that there are errors in scripture. What I am saying to say this is that the way God chose to um, provide a scripture did not... Uh, necessarily uh, eradicate the human weakness of not being able to remember everyone you ever baptized and giving you like a perfect photographic memory. And so it just reminds us that these are these, these books that God has given us, which are scripture, um, 
contains the weakness of man, though not in such a way that the words are not the word of God. And so there you go. You can put that into your theological pipe. I don't think for a second that this means that there's anything untrustworthy in the the word of God. I just think that the God of the Bible is honoring his word and his world by not giving us this scripture that is manifestly inhuman. It is 100% from the Holy Spirit, and it really is from people, through people. And here's a great instance of just coming to humility and saying, look, I forget things, Paul forgot things, and away we go. I was reading this morning in Mark, and there's this moment when Jesus is talking about um, the end of time or the second coming or the uh, fall of the temple. I think it's the fall of the temple. And he says, the son doesn't even know when the father is going to do this. And so you could say, well, if, this, if Jesus doesn't know when the Father's going to do all the stuff he's prophesying, then, then why should I trust Jesus? He doesn't know something. Well, the Father does know everything, and he really did send the Son, um, and the Son embraced limitations that the Father wanted him to, and so he didn't know something. And here's something Paul didn't know while he's writing. Yet at the same time, Paul understood that his letters carried the authority of Christ, and the church has received this for 2,000 years, and uh, this is the Word of God. So just something to think about so that we're not having false assumptions about what it means for the Bible to be the Bible. It is the Word of God. It is um, breathed out from God, but it does come to us through the human authors, and their humanness is not eradicated as they provide for us the Word of God. All right, let's change subjects. Um, Came back from holidays to some more news about um, sexual scandals in the church. And so there's three avenues, at least that I've noticed in the news. Um, the, the Catholic Church in the States is dealing with a report that says there's been, there were hundreds of uh, Catholic priests abusing over a thousand people just in one state, which is opening up or uh, prodding still open wounds about um, other people who have suffered in that way. Uh, There is a prominent evangelical pastor who's been accused of um, uh, fondling, putting the moves on somebody who worked for him. This was a while ago, but it's coming out now. Um, And he denies it categorically. You know, he says this doesn't happen, uh, but he's still retiring because of it. And then a local pastor for us, a Winnipeg pastor who has been arrested in the States, charged in the States for trying to solicit it, um, sexual contact with a minor. And so, man, that was a lot of stuff just to come back to. And as a pastor, you know, you can feel like you get impacted from the stuff. You, you wear that same kind of, uh, or I wear that same kind of role, position of a, of a leader in the church. Uh, I'm not a priest, but I'm a leader in the church. I'm, I'm not a mega church pastor. I'm a leader in church. I don't live in Winnipeg, but I, I'm a leader in the church. And so I, um, I feel it in a way. It's kind of like, um, you know, if you're on a soccer team and you're a forward and, and one of the defensemen is trying to pass back to the goalie and he scores on his own goal. And, and you're like, I didn't have anything to do with that, but ah, my whole team gets an, the point against it. And so I just want to make a couple of comments about about these kinds of things again. Uh, number one is <clears throat> um, 
the church of Jesus Christ who invented sexuality should be the place on earth that has the most uh, capacity to talk about sexual sin and brokenness and the ability to actually uh, bring restoration out of it into sexual health. I, for me, that, that just is an intellectual given. Um, I was reading Genesis 1 with a friend yesterday, and when God created man and woman, Genesis 1, chapter 1, in, the, in his image, the Bible says, so God created man in his image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he made them, uh, in my memory. So the very first thing it says about human beings is that they were sexual beings, that they're male and female. So it's not man and woman he made them, but male and female, bringing the emphasis to their sexual capacity. And so our God, in his book, right off the bat, informs us that what it means to be human is to be a sexual being. And we know that it's fallen, and God talks about sexuality a lot in his word, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And so uh, the, the church, the living church, the real church, should kind of take itself by the hand and just say, look, uh, dealing with sexual sin and brokenness, talking about it, teaching about it, walking through it, and acknowledging it um, and confronting it and... Um, wanting to serve Christ as he brings healing to people in it. This, it needs to be part of our mission, just like self-consciously, this, we do this because of who God is and how, what we know about the world and how it was made and the impact of the fall on humanity and how our sexuality as being made in Im- the image of God is, is broken by sin, is under the curse of death because of sin and is part of how you know God. So when you don't know God, your sexuality will express itself in ways that reveal you don't know him and it will come out in in sometimes more damaging and painful ways and sometimes less damaging and painful painful ways but it is impacted you know uh, the the christian view of sexuality should be if you don't know god and i don't just mean like have the label of christian on you like i mean somebody who does not know god um, they it will come out in their sexuality. There's no sexually whole person who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ and has is being transformed by the Holy Spirit. That should be our assumption, because we also don't believe there's any saved person who does not really know God and is is born again by the Holy Spirit. And there's there's no right worshiper, and our sexuality and our worship of God are intimately connected. Because they're, they go to who we are as people. They go right down to the core of us, who we are as people. And so that's my f- kind of first thought. If you're hearing this, um, we should just all sit down and be like, as a Christian, I'm going to have to think about, talk about, and deal with my sexuality and other people's sexuality because this is part of what it means to know God and to be restored in the image of God is to have your sexuality brought into the knowledge of God. The other thing I want to say is this, it's always good to remind ourselves when accusations are coming out that we're not called by God to make um, quick decisions of guilt based on accusations we read about in the newspaper or even um, online. It's, it's just not our job to make quick condemnations because otherwise you really do empower people to destroy people's lives by false accusations. 
And so I'm not saying it's not true. I am saying, though, that we need to have the patience to wait for, like, real investigations to happen. And that's why it is important if something wrong has happened that people do talk about it sooner rather than later because um, because when it does come out, but it's like 30 years later, then the world is impacted, but it's really hard to know. And so we can just say, okay, I'm not going to know, but it's, you know, these kinds of stories and accusations are so huge and so impactful that... Um, it, it really is helpful to try to deal with it sooner rather than later. So it doesn't just become he said, she said. And so I'm not, I'm not saying that to criticize. I'm just saying in the nature of the world, we're commanded by God to want two or three witnesses and to want there to be a fair trial and to be real justice and not just um, giving into um, an accusation right away. And that's not saying you don't believe people. It's like if you believe people, then you, you want to have a real investigation and a trial if it's needed that that seeks a, a real outcome. That's what I'm saying. If you believe somebody's story, you, you don't just pick up your pitchforks and torches um, and start burning things and, and lynching people. If you believe someone's story, you want the kind of justice that God teaches us to seek in the scriptures, which is a real investigation, a real trial if, if a trial is needed, and a dependable um, a decision, uh, a dependable public decision, if that's what's required. And so I just want to give you that as well. And the other thing, so, and then the last thought I want to give you is this, um, for each one of us personally, um, our temptations for sexual sins do not go away if we hide them. And our sexual sins that we've committed or fallen, uh, fallen into, we do we don't get free from them by hiding them and they get bigger and then all of a sudden you find that you've done something or are doing something or trying to do something that is crime or is way worse than you ever thought you could do um, the only way to really deal with stu- this stuff is to come into the light before jesus with a brother or sister whoever's appropriate to talk to so that you can really get free. That's I've, it. Never goes away on its own. It's kind of the the thing about sexual sin. It touches on how we relate to people, and how we try to meet desires for intimacy and approval, and for um, knowing who we are as men and women. And that kind of those kinds of desires and thoughts and identities they never find real freedom in the dark. They need to come into the light. They need to come into honesty. They need to come into an open confession and turning to God by walking in the light. And so if you're in that place where you're in bondage somehow, if you're in that place where um, you're stuck, you're, do- you're doing something, feeling something you just don't want to look at, I just really want to encourage you personally to, f- to find someone trustworthy who you can actually talk to about it and get into the light uh, in the presence of Jesus Christ. Jesus will forgive you. He will walk with you. He will um, help to set you free as you as you learn to walk uh, in obedience, as you learn to walk uh, believing in his love, as you learn to walk in fellowship with other people. But it won't happen on your own. And so I do want to encourage you to make contact and to be ready to commit yourself to a while of, of walking in the light. It, it's not going to be a quick fix. It never is because it, it's core stuff. It's core into our hearts and who we are. But there's so much hope, and I just 
want to end on this. There's so much hope. There is hope for healing. Um, Jesus Christ is the man God who was tortured and suffered and died. And then on the third day came back into resurrection life and then was um, ascended. Sorry, not was ascended, but then he ascended into heaven and sits on the throne of heaven, the throne of heaven. And anybody who comes to Christ can go through that same process where it feels like you're dying. It feels like all hope is lost. It feels like the end. And yet by the power of God and the mercy of God, as we look to Jesus, uh, you can experience a resurrection and he can bring you to a place you could never imagine because of his power and his kindness at work in those of us who believe. And so there is hope. There's hope beyond what you could ever imagine, um, even in this life, because of the power of God. If we will look to Jesus and, and surrender and walk the walk he calls us to walk as we find ourselves stuck and need freedom. So I hope you have a great weekend. Be blessed. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, the Lord loves you.